<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? Right, because 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 there's a sociological phenomenon that yeah. where where it's like now look slowly but surely and subtly society is weaned off of that when new technologies come around. Yeah, you know, such that even looking at that stuff is going to the the whole idea that video looks cheap compared to film. Where where does that conceptualization even come from? Right. I don't even know. It only comes from one place. It comes from, it just looks different. Therefore, if I see it on a big screen, which means symbolically high quality, if it looks different than that at all, fundamentally, it must be cheaper for some reason. Yeah. It makes no fucking sense. Yeah, yeah. Because the Sanyo thing proves that big budget films can look like that. Yeah. And when you see it, you immediately go, cheap. <laughs> but you know that it's not cheap. Because right, right. it's like the Transformers movie. Yeah. You know, so you're, you're watching it, and you're going, wait, this is the biggest budget movie that Hollywood produced this year, and you can make it look like video? Yeah. It looks like a soap opera. Oh, my God. And I hear people complaining about it when they're watching it. They're like, why does it look so bad, man? You know, it's like, well, it looks like video now. Because yeah. basically the 24-frame thing has been reinterpolated into a a 30 or 60 frame interlaced thing, and you're seeing it that way now, like uh -huh. with, these, with more frames. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so what I mean by this whole thing, it's, it's the same thing with like accepting that 24 frames. 24 frames a second is a completely arbitrary decision that got made to settle a dispute amongst many manufacturers who are, who are all trying to get a leg up on each other yeah. in the earliest days of filmmaking. It's the earliest form of uh, broad-based entertainment standards sure. that were, was imposed on an industry. Because they said, we have to come up with a way of doing this because I can't continue to manufacture one that has sprocket holes for 17 and one that has sprocket holes for 19. 24. Okay, yeah. guys? 24. Yeah. That's what we're doing. 18 for home use, yeah. 24 for, for everything else. Right. All right? And so that's where the standard came from. Across generations now, almost in our DNA, we have this response to 24 frames a second, you know? Yeah. That's correct. There's nothing correct about it. Yeah, they just made it up. They right. just made it up. Yeah. Right? It's like anything else, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, we've become accustomed to that. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, if not for the obvious benefits of, like, putting uh, audio on tape, you know, I mean, if nothing better had come along... Uh, after the wax cylinder, you know, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we'd still be accepting that as 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 you know the penultimate audio. And and what you're saying is that, and it's true that it can go in reverse. Yeah, you know, it's like you can reach a pinnacle and go down from there, and people will begin to think that the pinnacle is incorrect and yeah. accept this. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, it's it's also about what they're. What their customers. The fact of the matter is, in music, I mean, you can de definitely prove that people will like anything that they've heard. They, they, they're familiar. They become familiar with it, and then right. it doesn't. It, 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 you can take the most pedestrian, most ridiculous listener, somebody who only listens to top forty radio. On the, the day that you take them in and play them, you know, tube and throat singing, they. Oh, that's horrible. That's not music. That's awful. That's ugly. Three weeks later, if that's all they've heard, they like it. Right. <laughs> right. 
their mind put it together, right. their ears put it together, yes, right, right, and they're just familiar. They that happened uh, uh, while they weren't aware of the situation. So it's just, it's just a bias. It's a cultural bias or a cultural prejudice exactly. for coming in off Absolutely. of what sensorily you're, you're, Absolutely. you're conditioned to do. Well, you know, and and conversely, you know, it, it it's provable. I mean, those guys who are doing throat singing, you know, it's like if you put a pop, American pop record on, they're going to be like, oh my god, yeah, totally. Uh, what is that? Yeah. You know, it's if not for the pervasiveness of like yeah. of American pop music all over the world in terms of like influencing, you mm -hmm. know, pop music across like sure, every everywhere, freaking continent, right? Everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, so so yeah, man. Uh, I don't know. Is there anything else we want to touch on, man? Yeah, like, the bar. We got to discuss oh, the bar. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> we got to discuss the bar and a few current uh, bizarre uh, cultural changes in New Orleans okay. uh, neighborhood. Right. Neighborhood uh, the bizarre rise of the complainer as being the the pinnacle of New Orleans uh, uh, burger. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe we could touch on that now, and then we could close out on the bar with a little bit of levity. Okay, know, let's do like that. that. Okay, I'm, I'm yeah, okay. Sure, okay. Right. Well, no, you comment on this a lot. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to me, and I, I came back north. My father moved back, and 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 it moved. Well, not moved back. He moved here after living outside the country for thirty-five, thirty-seven years or something. He suddenly moves to New Orleans, and uh -huh. oddly enough, and comments on this stuff. But I'm I was mystified all of a sudden. Like it seems like. I left town three years ago, and I come back, and everybody has some organization that's there to, to design to, to fuss about something. <laughs> I don't recall this ever being, well, being the case. You well, know? In, there's a lot of factors, and it goes deep, I think. You know? And I could just touch on a few of them that I think are... are um, there's, first and foremost... I can speak to, you know, having grown up in suburban uh, New Orleans, that there's a white victimhood aspect of it, mm -hmm. okay? That's like, ever since desegregation, we were forced out of the city by gunpoint. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which is absurd, okay? We all know, those of us who are smart, that that's an, ins that's an insanity, right? right? But it's a very true insanity in terms of a cultural phenom that happens in the city of New Orleans, okay? Uh -huh. The way that that relates to this issue is that in the wake of so many, the, the perception of so many, so much of the African-American population having been displaced, the hubris of old, moneyed... You mean displaced by the storm? Displaced by the storm, yeah. Of old, because we're still feeling the effects of that. You know, that yeah. that's a twenty-year cycle. Sure. Um, but moneyed, white, entrenched interests saw an opportunity and uh, to to reclaim uh, um, authority, to reclaim land, to, <laughs> and to you know to to correct New Orleans, okay. basically. Uh. And I want to say this forcefully yeah. to anybody who's willing to listen to this, because I say it all the time, and, it, and I mean this, is that there's a tired trope that's running around in people who are on my side of things, yeah. which is all these people that are coming in from other places and are new to this place mm -hmm. begin to complain 
and then they change everything. Uh -huh. I'm telling you right now that a major amount of the money, effort, and impetus behind a lot of this shit is fucking locals. Uh -huh. Okay? Resentful, spiteful, angry locals who have been sitting back waiting for an opportunity like this uh -huh. for fucking 40 years. Wow. Okay? And not a lot of people want to listen to me when I say that. Yeah. But I'm telling you, the principal lawyer that funds it grew up here and went to Brother Martin High School. Okay? The Bufus thing just went down. Who was the guy? Sidney Torres. Yeah. He's from here. Yeah. Okay? Uh -huh. A lot of these fucking people are from here. Uh -huh. So everyone just needs to get over that right away. Yeah. I'm telling you. We have, I say this all the time, we have the worst, least progressive, wealthy people in the country. Yeah. They fucking suck yeah. here. Okay? Yeah. We have shitty fucking wealthy people. Yeah. They don't know how to be entrepreneurs. A lot of them are old money. They inherited their fucking money. A lot of people are just stodgy because they don't, they don't think there's any world outside of oil and tourism. You know? They don't think mm. like people on the West Coast in the East Coast. Right. They're happy that they've got theirs and everybody else is just kind of whoever the fuck they are. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. You gotta just understand that those people are in this. Uh -huh. Alright? And they're in it to fucking win it. Uh -huh. Alright? But here's the thing. <clears throat> they're kind of losing now. Yeah. Alright? And in part, it's because people who are opposed to them and are for cultural regeneration, cultural preservation, new culture, um, have organized. And, and part of their weakness is that they have, one of their weaknesses is that they have a, a stodgy approach to modern life. Uh -huh. And they are swamped under by the concept of social media. And they're, they're swamped under by the idea that there is, there is a form of democracy that is happening as a result of social media. Uh -huh. Because they're not used to democracy. Right. They're not. They're used to connections. Uh -huh. They're used to getting their way uh -huh. through those connections. Uh -huh. And they're, they're definitely not used to like the idea of capitulation through public, public relations backlash. And the most powerful tool that anybody has against these people is that they always want two things. They want to have their way and have you shut up about it. But they also want to be seen as cool and part of the fucking scene. Right. And if you take away the second part, uh -huh. you got them by the fucking balls, man. <laughs> Right. I mean, really, John, you just fucking got them by the balls, man. Yeah. It's the truth. Because uh, they really want to be cool. Uh -huh. And if you just, you could sit there all day long on the VC Poor website and go, You're, you guys are so uncool. Yeah. And that could be your retort to every one of their arguments. And they'd just be verklempt. Yeah, they'd just <laughs> like, what? Rage. You know, yeah. red-faced fury, for crying out loud. Yeah. Like, you're telling me I'm not cool. I do everything. I'm the flaming sword <laughs> of righteous defense. You know? And, and I mean, that's, that's the way those people see themselves. You know? Unfortunately, they're lying. And they're lying to themselves, and they're lying to everybody else. Yeah. And, and, 
you know, and that, that encompasses with it a, a level of denial, you know, and so they always have these, these bizarre uh, things that accompany them, you know, which is like tactics, they'll stoop to any level of tactics, you know, because they just can't get over this denial that they have about, like, you're really not doing something that's fucking cool. What you're doing is you, you're toying with something that's very delicate and very precious, yeah, and 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 it also involves people who are very delicate yeah. and precious at the same time, yeah. you know, and uh, and and who don't like the idea of being bullied, yeah. you know, and and it's like you, you, they seem to fail on a very fundamental level to understand that that music is king mm -hmm. in New Orleans. And I think the food people would be really fucking pissed off, you know, to hear, maybe, you know, that. But I'm telling you, no matter what anybody says, and even <laughs> lacking hits and all that stuff, the, the preeminent fixture of New Orleans culture is music. I always thought when I showed up, I showed up in the 80s, but, you know, it, it was, I actually thought it was kind of cokings, actually. In those days, it was like you were always hanging around with food people, that, that, that you know, always the chefs and everything, and sure. musicians, and this was... It's very on a very similar par, you know. You had a special, uh, special, yeah, special status. But it's yeah. funny now. Actually, I think one of the weirdest things coming back now is that music. Um, it's like there's been this denigration of <laughs> musicians and food is really dominant now in New Orleans. Well, that's only a that's only a perceived thing because I mean the thing is is like if you don't have a place to go and 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 enjoy live entertainment at night, then you know. With the foodie revolution across the United States, then New Orleans just becomes cast into a cauldron a of, of all these other places, you know? Yeah. A lot of whom are going to uh, attack New Orleans for, like, you know, <coughs> its over-reliance on, you know, things that are, like, you know, artery-clogging and, and yeah, you know, right, full right. of cream, you know? Right, right. And, and, and so, you know, and that's a trope in and of itself, you know, because, I mean, there's been as much a modern revolution of New Orleans cuisine as anything else in the United States, sure. you know, yeah. and maybe even more so, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, the engine of, of New Orleans' new culinary scene is, uh, sorry about the heat in here, man, my, my air conditioning I don't care. struggles New Orleans in the summer. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, 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 but anyway, it's, you know, I mean, it's still, like, it's incredibly vibrant and alive, you know, and I don't mean it to denigrate uh, them, but, but you have to just admit the truth and say, okay, we have to understand that as a city, it has to be part of our policy to protect music. Right. It, it can't be our, a part of our policy to listen to a bunch of people whose lives will never be memorialized. Yeah. Tell us about what's wrong <laughs> with the playing of music. Yeah. You know, such that it creates an atmosphere where musicians feel oppressed in a town where it should be elevated and it should be allowed to flourish. Yes. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and so it's the exact wrong approach. And the wellspring of it is a combination of the people that I described previously and some of the people who are recently arrived here, you know, and, and who aren't necessarily prepared to realize the totality of the decisions that uh -huh. they've made, you know, uh -huh. and uh, and it's only appropriate to fight that, yeah. you know. Um, unfortunately, you know, for our city's leadership, you know, 
there's reporters. And, you know, the way that social media is now, and especially like the, the intrepid youths, you know, and the, the glut of them, you know, that are in this town now, yeah. you know, are, they're the ones that have their pulse on, like, getting things to go viral really fucking fast. Yeah. And so controlling public relations nightmares for, you know, a town like New Orleans should be something that's really high on the fucking mayor's priority list. Right. You know, and unfortunately, because he's in bed with a lot of the same people who are behind uh, this, this, like, kind of anti-music movement. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't see an appropriate level of defense, you know, of the city's image right. abroad. And so we get these, like, you know, Orwellian uh, 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 nightmare scenarios, like where the city crafts this advertising campaign and says, no, America, comma, we won't turn it down. Uh -huh. you know? And there's a picture of Freddie King. Yeah. You know, and so in every ad that goes out in every publication in every trade journal across the country, you know, in uh, the Condé Nast, you read, you see that image, right? In the full page ad, come to New Orleans. No, we won't turn it down. Oh, but then you go to uh, BuzzFeed, and there's an article about how New Orleans is fighting tooth and nail to turn it down. Uh huh. There's a fucking problem there, man. Yeah. You know, you got to get it under control. Yeah. You know, but there's only one way, and it's going to piss off a lot of rich people, okay? They want. Real estate assets. That's all they want. They're looking for their real they estate to go up. It seems real to estate to go up. They're they're investment class people. Yeah, you know, and 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 they own a lot of real estate, and they're looking to acquire more. And they think through acquisition, through selective positioning, um, through the incredible and the incredible bias of fucking real estate, yeah. which is really, frankly, the most racist institution. In this country, seriously, yeah, absolutely, it's hands by down, nature. man, by nature, right? That that you know they'll be able to leverage out the quote unquote bad elements. It's, it's interesting because I, I I find it really funny. In other words, the only reason that anyone that their that their real estate has more value in New Orleans is because of the things that New Orleans. Happens to be associated with culturally, which is music, food, and good. And, and, I know, and a good time. Well, that's so, my so, point. So, should you remove that? Right. Your your, exactly. your property can only go down. That right. only went up right. because everyone right. in the world has been getting more and more uh, an idea of what it is. You know what, what it is. Look, John, I got I got assistance in buying this house right here. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Yep. I'll say it right off the bat. It was available. I was in the income range. I lived here long enough. I applied. That's it. Okay? Seeing a white face in this neighborhood, this one, is somewhat of a new phenomenon. You know? Uh, yeah. Seeing uh, this, the influx of white people coming into this neighborhood is probably somewhat unsettling to a lot of families that have lived here right. for a long time. Um, that's a squeeze that's happening on on two fronts, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, middle class whites are getting less wealthy, you know. Oh, and, <laughs> right. <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> and uh, and and so we have to move into neighborhoods that were previously not classified as the the ones that were thought of as for you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and 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 then you know, like some older. Black folks in this neighborhood are like dying off, you know, or like young, you know. I bought this house from from a young black couple, you know. Uh -huh. and it's like they're like done with it, you know. 
They're like, no, we live in Atlanta now, you know, so fuck it. You yeah. know, we're going to sell this as an investment property. Okay. So they're like climbing up. Yeah. You know? And, and it's, in some cases, like in this neighborhood, it's like a weird mishmash of yeah. those things. And I, I'll be honest with you, I'm a lot more comfortable with that because I'm just like, I've had it with renting. And so I'm unapologetic about it, yeah. you know. But then, like for instance, across the street, you can see like some of the influx of like of, of some of the influence of new and good things. You know, the pool is back up and running. People use the pool. It's really nice. Oh, great. It's great. You know, uh, what are you gonna do? You're gonna say that it's bad? It's not bad. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. You get to go swimming in the summertime for free. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? That's a great. Thing. That's an awesome thing, man. You know, there's like people doing aerobics and stuff. Yeah. Well. You know, and, and the park is getting used all the time. Yeah. You know? I mean, this is one of the most fascinating little corners in New Orleans uh -huh. to me right now. Uh -huh. You know, to wake up to this, like, cultural mishmash that's going on down here is, like, it's fucking mind-boggling, man. You just wouldn't have seen it, like, five, six, seven years ago. Right. I can't say to what degree something is good or bad about those aspects. What's happening in neighborhoods, uh -huh. you know? You certainly could argue about the bywater because that's a kind of a, a complete, utter, total transformation of a neighborhood. I've from, never seen anything like it. It's the most well, it's just, it, it, it has no resemblance to anything that was, you know, 20 years ago. Well, when I moved there in ninety, yeah. I moved there in ninety nine, and I mean, I can't believe what happened. Even since I went to California, which was only two and a half, three years. I know, ago, right? I know, right? I come back and be like, what the, what I the hell? I mean, the apartment I lived in before I left two and a half years ago, which I sublet to Brian Coogan, is now a watch shop. Yeah, <laughs> it's a watch shop. Thing. It's a watch shop. Yeah, yeah, right, right. You know what? I, I, I know. You can't even. I know. I don't even. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't even register for me. Yeah, you know. It, was, you know, it, went, it went from Hart McNee's apartment to my apartment to Brian Coogan's apartment to watch shop. Right. Watch. Exactly. Exactly. And listen, I'll, I'll tell you a, a positive outcome of of one of these things. You know, it's like I used to bitch and moan about uh, just right over here on Grand Reed St. John and Esplanade. They had the this. It was a Circle K. And then the guy wanted to reopen it as a Circle K. And look, man, I'm always just about, like, look, man, don't leave something as a rat-infested shithole, man. I, I hate that, for crying out loud. Yeah. I mean, like, open something, man. Let the guy open something. Mm -hmm. But, man, the list of onerous fucking things that they put into this list of demands by the neighborhood group was like, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. I'm literally telling you, it was like, it was like, the shrubbery has to be purchased from blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It can only be so high. And we would prefer it if you would hire a disabled person as the groundskeeper. Yeah. You know, the guy said, you know, I own seven of these, man. You know, and this one actually interests me the least. Yeah. You know, because all the other ones, I just pull the plug, get the financing, and we open. Okay. That's what happens, you know. And it's like, dealing with you guys is not really part of my deal. Right, you know? right, right. Look, I can understand that guy's perspective, too, you know. Sure. But here's the deal. Oftentimes, when people of means, you know, don't get their way, they act like babies, too, you know. And so then the place just sits there yeah. empty, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the reverse side of that is, like, you get people who try to argue that that incredulity doesn't exist, you know. They're yeah. like, you think somebody, I've really had somebody say this. 
You think somebody would just let a property sit there and, and rot away out of spite? And I go, you know what? You've never been around rich people. Yeah. That's a really fucking middle class thing to think, isn't sure. it? You know? When you're around rich people, you'll find out, man. They don't care. Mm-hmm. You know? They'll just be like, yeah, oh, well, you know what? I got plenty of money, man. Yeah, it's you know? indispensable. I will get my seventh place open, you know, whether it's here or there. Yeah. You know, it's going to happen. You know, so, so it did. It sat there and it sat there, and then these kind of like these shabby operators open it as this kind of like typical Creole joint, blah blah blah. Look, here's the upshot. It's an oyster bar now. Yeah. Okay. I about fell out of my chair when I heard that. Yeah. Man. I was like, Are you fucking kidding me? This is going to be an oyster bar. Thumbs up. Right, man. Something else. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's like. That's the thing that I've been waiting for in Mid yeah. City, you know, <laughs> for like forever. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, it, it, it's it's so complicated what those changes are. As I said, when this thing became a watch shop, it, it is it, the landlady happens to be a woman that was, you know, a best friend of life and a good friend, and she's suddenly doing a lot better. She's able to fix her house, and some things are things are correct all of a sudden. So it's an odd thing. It's somebody genuine that was there, but still, the changes are cataclysmic. In other words, that goes from 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 helping him to. But, you know, I, I don't really know. Is, 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 my question is, is it sustainable? I mean, you know, I, is I, it, I, say, I, it costs the same amount to live in L.A. now. Is everyone making as much money here as they do no, in L.A.? No. They're not, and, and, and that would be the main reason why I would say that it's probably not sustainable. You know? And what is the collapse going to look like? Not pretty. You know, I mean, I mean look, John, it's like, the kind of real estate bubble that they're creating, it's, it's, it's so lacks judiciousness in terms of its approach. The, the real estate industry in and of itself is, is radical. And un, unfortunately, it's at, the, it's at the vanguard of income disparity because so much of this stuff is being purchased by quote-unquote investor class people. Mm-hmm. Okay? The program that I participated in to get this place, I see as absolutely a government program that's designed to prop people up who they don't want to have them fall out of the middle class. Yeah. You know, so that they'll be able to actually somehow pry a house away from this unbelievable onslaught of acquisition that's going on by these people who have accrued all of this fucking wealth, Mm -hmm. you know? You have no idea who's buying these fucking houses, man. Yeah. I mean, it's people in California. It's people in San Diego. It's people in L.A. and Vegas, you know. I mean, Phoenix, uh, on, on the East Coast, you yeah. know. I mean, it, it's just unbelievable. Right. It's half of them are never even going to come to the property. Yeah. They just get it done and try and sell it. Well, what's going to happen is they're going to get it done. They're going to try and sell it. And it, at some point, there's going to be this congealing when all of that selling tries to take place at the same time, when there's an exodus of all these kids that came here, yeah, and there's just going to be an overwhelming abundance of houses for sale with nobody wanting to buy nobody it. There, right? And you know what's going to happen then is that the bubble's going to burst and then there's going to be a, a massive property devaluation. You know, And that's going to hurt on all kinds of fronts because even when you're selling the house, you have to pay property tax on it. Right. Well, when the house gets devalued, the property tax goes down, and then the city coffers are in trouble after that. You know, so it's like, 
that's the thing probably that I worry about the most, you know, in terms of like this city's economy is like watching these like and knowing look, even before the storm, the values were ridiculous, man. I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me, man, because right. I mean you live in a fucking bywater and like it's like, you know, three shootings a week, you know, within like three block radius, you know, and I'm like what about that makes this place worth a hundred and seven thousand dollars? You know, about that. now that place is worth three hundred forty thousand uh, dollars, or that the rent rent was somewhere between you know it was about three fifty in two thousand and one, and it suddenly is is eighteen hundred dollars. I know, I know. Well, it's eighteen hundred dollars. Let's stick I know. Over. I know. It's like, you know. I know. And so then, what happens is that you wind up with your rental people are all really young before they've actually even settled into their real careers. Yeah. You know, and living together as roommates. Yeah. You know, and that's not like the class of people that really like spend into local businesses gotcha. that much because they don't. They just don't have money yet. You know. They're not in an age where they're like where they're making money, you know, except for the very special of them. Yeah. You know? um, or they're the sons and daughters of the fucking wealthy of class the themselves. There's you know? a lot of that here. Now. And there's a lot of that going on now. You know, I mean, I was remarking to uh, this barista at the Orange Couch if if there was a a better representation of like what's going on down there. I think the Orange Couch is probably like yeah, you could watch. You really, if you'd had a camera in there, you could watch the whole room. You watch the whole freaking thing. If you had a camera like right after Katrina on yeah, that corner, yeah, mounted there, yeah. you know, maybe there's a crime camera and we could go and like <laughs> speed it up, you know, for the last eight years. Yeah, that would be great, man. But uh, you know, I mean, that's that's a and and anyway. She's asking me about it. I'm like, well, first of all, you're one, you you are of this ilk, but I can see that you're like being cool, so you don't want to be considered of this ilk. Uh, so you're looking for the next vanguard place to move, so that that identity can be maintained. Uh -huh. Because what's happening now is that the super cool aspect of it, and this is excluding people who are in our age bracket now. You know, I mean, it's like. I'm talking about the influx after the storm. Because, yeah. look, we're, all, we're already nine years out of it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like people are moving into their 30s now that came here when they were 24, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, she's, she's, like, looking to get out of there. And I'm like, well, you know, this is what happened to me. The Seahorse Saloon right over here? Yeah. Man, just a down and dirty dive. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, so a couple times, duck my nose in over there. And I go in. And I look around and I go, all y'all motherfuckers are Lost Love Lounge customers. <laughs> like, what are you doing here, man? Uh, and they can feel it, like, coming off of me, you know? Yeah, wow. A little bit. <laughs> like, because they all know who I am, yeah. you know? They're like, they're like, oh, man, we're over here. And I'm like, what the fuck are all they, why are they here, man? Right. Well, you know, this little triangle right here represents, like, you know, an acceptable salvation point, you know? And so they're like, oh, okay, you know, let's go here. Well, you know, it's Because the rents are still reasonable. Well, that was the thing. I mean, I, I matched it up. I've been asking people because I don't know what I'm at right now. I'm staying at my father's house, but I'm going to get an apartment. You know, I'm 
back, and so I'm trying to find out where it's the reason when, in fact, everyone says, oh, you either got to go here, or they say go down to Araby. So it's like two, the, the two Complete. local solutions are yeah. really funny to me. It's right. Like right, literally here. Right, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I was glad to see that today somebody published, I don't know if you saw that, that, you know, New Orleans' most trendy neighborhoods, you know? Yeah, I saw you. Like mid-cities, yeah. like down on 7th, you know? Gentilly, the person probably doesn't even know that that is a neighborhood. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, great. Yeah, exactly. It's not on there. Perfect. Well, yeah. You know? I mean, I'm, I'm just going to be here, man, for, yeah. you know, the foreseeable future. And that's fine, you know? Now, the bar, yeah, so, sure. so, the, so the clientele then, you, so you must be su suggesting right now that the clientele of the Lost Love has changed. It has, you know, and, uh, and you know, it was just kind of like, you know, you're across the street from this very swank Franklin. Ah, uh, the Franklin, yeah, which I <laughs> like, actually, man. Too. I, think I actually hang out there a little bit, because yeah? I, I like the wine, I like the... Yeah, it, work it's all right, man, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it, you know, yeah. I mean, it's like, they did a good job with that place, man. Uh, but I get it, you know, people be like, yo, be bullshit, you know, and all that kind of stuff, but it's like, uh, I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, what are you going to do, build a dive? You know? Yeah, not like that. I, mean, I, mean, yeah, you know, I like going to your place too, but uh, you know, sometimes you go in there, sit at, sit at that bar, get a bottle of wine, I, I, get a drink of wine. I, I'm not really sure, you know, I like New Orleans life so much that I'm like, I'm in a place until I feel like going somewhere else and I walk over and yeah, see yeah. what it's like in there. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, you <laughs> just check it out. You, you know? check it out. You right, know? right, exactly. You make any way around. You yeah, know? I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm all for it actually, you know, I mean, that's, yeah. uh, that's an odd thing, you know, that people ask you, like, you know, as a business owner, do you, you know, are you worried that it's going to bring competition? I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm worried that I'm going to be able to keep up with the new customers. Yeah. Uh -huh. More than anything, you know, it's like, I mean, it's a good thing. Uh -huh. you know? What do you mean by keep up with the new customers? Well, look, uh, you know, for the first, like, four weeks after they open, well, uh, you know, these people that work at restaurants are like foodies, right? Mm -hmm. So here's the first thing. Never order, like, more than one keg of certain types of beer, like, every, you know, maybe once every two weeks, right? Okay. The top-end draft, uh -huh. you know? All of a sudden, boom, it's gone within a, within a week. Okay, you know? wow. And I'm like, what's going on? It's like, well, the whole staff comes here after they get off okay, work. Okay, and they want like, the best That's beer. the ones that, they, yeah, they drink that, you know, because they're like, ugh, you know, they're beer snobs, you know? Right. And I'm like... Okay, you know, so I gotta like fucking like recalculate my ordering, you know, and, and yeah. like, and so now like uh, just today, like I phased out like six beers, man, and I got six new ones coming in, and they're all like hot items, you know, and stuff, and so there's an aspect of that where you have to just kind of like stay on top of it and like understand like who your clientele is, and uh, and and pay attention to it, recognize it, and change with the times. You Do know, you think basically, if you charge seven dollars for PBR, people would buy it? Those people would buy more of it. I always wonder whether it's gotten that bad here. Like, and this is where it's at. California does this one where it's like they just raise the money on the cheap shit and, and boom, everybody everybody buys that because you know their imagination. They're just form. anyway, whatever. No, so well, this, no, is, this mean, is a black hole. No, but really you know what? I want to say no something. That's a very legitimate question because it, it runs right smack into like. Uh, an aspect of New Orleans culture, which is like the drinking culture that expects cheap booze, you know? Yeah. And, and that's a real thing in New Orleans. And, uh, you know, there's a competition in New Orleans for, like, it's like, it drives in the opposite direction of what you're saying. 
You know, you constantly have to know what the next guy on the next corner is charging because if it's cheaper than what you're offering, the only thing you're leveraging is that you have a better environment and they just don't like that place. Yeah. You know? But it's like you cannot go like two dollars higher, you know? Yeah. You gotta you gotta just go and like hang out a little bit and be like, Oh, what are they charging that right there, man? You know? And and it's not necessarily the case that you're just gonna go like, Oh, I'm gonna go down to Mimi's and go like Oh hey, you know they're charging seven dollars for that beer. Holy shit, man! Yeah. I only charge six. Well, I'm not rushing back down to like change my price. Right. I'm just like maybe a bunch of people are going to notice that the prices are different and yeah, like come back down to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's that that whole game is really touch and go, man. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like if you freaking and the other one is like, dude, if you are if you're <clears throat> cheap. You know, on your pores or whatever, let people perceive it, then it gets out, you know, and then people are like, man, those guys suck. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You don't want that. I mean, one of the things I think, especially having lived with, with having gone out of, out of town for a while again, is that, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, Alex McGuire once put it very well. He said, the big changes that are, you know, when, when, when we moved here, which is when we were in the 80s, you're from here, but we moved here around then. It was basically the only reason that anyone moved here then was to get sauced and listen to music. That's his word. I think it's very funny. But truthfully, it, it was because you were in your 20s and the idea that you could go to someplace like Miss Mays and drink <laughs> the way that you could drink there for that price, which was unbelievable. You know, the, 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 the dollar mixed drinks and two for one on Wednesdays and this, this whole bananas music, you know, drinking culture. But it made two things. It made very fast bartenders and people that were that were that were that were not uptight about how the drinks were coming to them, just that they were coming to them. And and what's interesting now is that there at least there still is a need for a bar to be you know, people are still looking for a bar to sell to them that way, not exactly sell to them and Yeah. And ex you know what I call in LA when you go for a drink. It, it's it's like the discreet charms of the bourgeoisie. There, you go in for a drink and it takes you an hour to get one, and then you and then by the time you're done with it, the place is closing. So right, <laughs> right, right. It's like you know, right. <laughs> I know I don't even understand sometimes that model. It's like why are you even selling liquor? Then I mean, you're doling it out so slowly, man. That why the price doesn't even really compensate for like yeah. So there is. I mean, by the end, you're really selling it for four dollars because you didn't sell two. You know. Yeah, you failed to sell two. So, so that still doesn't seem to be going on. I mean, there's just like slightly more expensive places, but there's none of the, the, the you know, the, the flat out, you know. No, well, I think maybe there's one or two, man, but I think they're probably uh, limited to the douchebag set, yeah. you know, and it's like not really like, you, you're not the type of person and neither am I that's going to frequent those joints, you know right, what I mean? Right, right. But there, there certainly is a kind of class of people here who like, you know, gravitate towards something because like that because there are these uh, mixologist bars that have cropped up there's like four or five of them all over the city and they're pushing a 10 to 12 dollar maybe even on the high end 15 to 20 cocktail range you know I mean yeah, I know I mean it's absurd I mean to you and me you know and it's just ridiculous and you know I mean we we had some infighting early on uh, about that and uh, thankfully you know the better idea won out you know which is to like just accept the place for what it is. I mean, look at the exterior of the building. Look at the interior of the building. Accept that this is the the thing that we've 
decided to invest in and uh, you know let's make our decisions accordingly about what kind of place we're going to be and not try to put lipstick on a pig man you know it's good a, idea it's a fucking neighborhood bar in the end you know it is and even the whole live music thing is really like just such in the past for me in terms not in terms of me participating you know in the way that I do in the fight to keep like live music going in New Orleans mm -hmm. in general just as a musician and playing around town you know and yeah. like that that's a very fundamental issue and a fight that needs to be fought <laughs> but when people ask me about live music at Lost Love Lounge, I'm like, it's really a ship that sailed, you know, because the room in the back is really small, and then over time, our customers have come, uh, they've become accustomed to, like, having a peaceful meal back there, or watching the Saints game, or doing whatever, and it's like, you know what, I'm a musician that, that invested in the neighborhood bar. Yeah. Uh, oh. And it's like, it's enough for Actually, that business to have the food and the, and the bar and all the activities that we have, and it's just enough, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it I, really I, is. I think it's it, it's fine. I mean, even as a musician, and I'm a slut for music, and I and I back it at every chance. I mean, that's even what really really the whole podcast with this start and everything. You know, and I'm I'm really behind it, and and, and, and certainly allowing it to be interesting. You know, how to have music be interesting, and musicians be interesting, and all this stuff. But um, I can't see where the losses. For having the kind of, I mean, your bar, you had the slipsy, there was the spelling bee, there's the, 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 there was the endless Treme party that went on over there, there were these, right. you know, these, there were really a lot of events that were very, very cool that yeah. were going yeah. on in there. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't anything that I couldn't really see um, being run at the Mermaid Lounge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I, it just happens to not be guys. You know, playing playing in there. And, yeah, you know, right, that's, right. That's, what's the problem? It's actually cool. It's actually a cool, cool scenario. Not not any different. I mean, sometimes you know, when you're doing it, like we didn't have a written business plan when we got into it. It was a spur of the moment kind of thing, you know. And and I'm a firm believer in this. Is that you know, if you're, I mean, look, you can jam and mash all these concepts together and really get fucked, you know. Yeah. And I I think that we got lucky, you know, because. It just turns out for the way the space is laid out, for the size of the of, of the floor, um, you know, the amount of tables that we have, you know, the amount of space that's taken up for serving area in the kitchen, it's uh, it's a it it worked out okay, you know, and and uh, if we would have put music in there, it's likely we would have alienated as many people as we would have brought in, you know, just simply because they're like, hey, I just want to sit back here, you know. I mean, the comedy night disturbs people enough. Really? You know, already. Yeah, sometimes. Really? You know? Okay. It's I mean, not all the time, because people have come, become used to it, uh, you know, but... Um, uh, and, and the final word I'll say about that is that, you know, your, your clientele dictates a lot of stuff to you. Yeah. And not necessarily the other way around, also, yeah. you know, so um, you have to be open to that, you know. I mean, I think, uh, you know, one of the key aspects of a failing small business is being obstinate in that department, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you just have to be aware that they're like, hey, we like this back room for this, you know. And and that's what they were saying, really, more than anything. You know? Do you like do you like running the bar? Do you like do you like the yeah, yeah, I mean it's got its ups and downs like anything else, uh, you know. Uh, Partnerships are you know the most difficult part.
about it, but I would say overall, yeah. Um, because, frankly, I mean, we got some managers last year, and I won't be shy to admit this. It's like uh, I can, you know, kind of sort of manage things from afar now, you know, and it affords me uh, quite a bit of free time, you know, uh -huh. more than most people would think, you uh -huh. know. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm glad uh, to put to rest a lot of mythology about uh, the small business owner. You know, I'm, I'm also glad to, like, wallow in the, the, the in, in those myths, you know, as long as people want to have them. What are the myths? And what well, the, myths, the myth is like, you, oh, my God, you're there all the time, uh, 70 hours a week. And I'm like, well, you know, that's the douchebag owner. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's there, like, all the fucking time. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Like, I'm like, you know, nowadays, there's, like, these things called cameras. You know, and you can like view the fucking shit remotely, you know, yeah. and I can just see what's going on, yeah. you know, and, and for my part, because I run the bar operation, you know, I don't do the kitchen side of things, my partner, the other two partners do the kitchen, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, and, you know, one of them handles personnel and scheduling, and I, I do all the ordering for the bar, and one does the ordering for the kitchen, so we have a division of labor, and, uh, you know it, it, that that's fine. So I'm afforded some autonomy, and uh, and and for me, you know, it's like the bar is the profit center for for the business. So I feel confident about handling that. So that you know, being empathetic about customers and their needs is remains at the at the top of the list of priorities. You know, rather than uh, rather than a bullying imposition. Mm -hmm. You know, of of you know, what can be ham-fisted ideas, yeah. you know, I think that you don't really want to do that, uh, you know, it's, in a neighborhood bar, you need to have, you know, make some judicious and conscientious moves of things, you know, mm -hmm. and not big wholesale changes all at once, yeah, yeah. because people are sensitive about that. Now, the character of, this is New Orleans bar, so it's a lot of, there's a lot of character to the city that's involved in the neighborhood bars and stuff, but, um, so that, Falls in line with what you're talking about—the music and, and the film, all everything sort of going on about. I just want to come one back thing to the music because I, I did I neglected one last thing about in the egg yolk discussion, which is um, the songwriting, the songs that go mm -hmm. on in there. Who's mm -hmm. and now this writing? What's going on? And how? And and uh, and and what are this? What's the, what what what's really the subject matter? What are you guys writing about in there? What's going on? Well, I mean, it depends on what record uh, you're you're talking about. So they're concept records. No, they're not concept records. They're not. Um, okay. It's like, oh god, you know. I mean, <laughs> there's like three or four songs that are about assholes. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, definitely. One of them is called "A Hole Race." Uh huh. You know. And, I mean, if there was a common thread, John, it's humor. Right. You know? uh -huh. I mean, there's that, you know, and I guess that's why, you know, for, and for other reasons, there's like the kind of Zappa comparisons come up, you know. So um, it's satirical humor. It's definitely satirical. Yeah, it's there's, satirical. There's, like, I, I wrote, early on, I wrote one, because remember, you know, we, back in the day, like, you were hanging at the Harbar sure. for a while. I was, and McMurray, and all those guys. Yeah. Pantrowski. And uh, oh, maybe the wives are going to hear this now. Who knows? But whatever. Um, and it, it's like, 
I wrote a song about the R bar. It was basically, you know, <laughs> and I called it the Q bar. Uh, hanging out at the Q bar. That got covered by a French band. Oh, really? Which one? But it, but oh gosh, they're like a brass band. Davis. So to boot no, it's not them. Song. I wish it was them. That would be great. No, it's, not um, brass band. it's another one. They're kind of popular. There's a there's a video. Um, it's called Why Two Say You're Too Cool. You know, okay. and it was about some character who walks in, and he's like, you know, because there was kind of an influx of douchebags. Yeah. For a while, you know, and it and it was like it was like, oh yeah, you're so fucking cool, man. You're coming in here. So I wrote a song about that, you know. And then, anyway, uh, and yeah, and then there's one, you know, like, yeah, well, there's another one called Requiem for an Asshole. Uh -huh. You know, so there's, there's like four songs about assholes. Uh -huh. you know? I don't know why. We're beset by assholes. You know, yeah. so. <laughs> well, we've talked so about a lot. Keep, right, you know. We've talked a lot about influx of assholes <laughs> in general. So. At least we're topical, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's like. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're going to get into is like, you know, because we've got a lot of topical information. Here, <laughs> you know, I realize we didn't actually cover what the, you know, what the spoken. But some of them are also just like weird ambling tales of, you know. Things gone wrong, like, like Bogle USA. You know, it's like the Bogalusa Highway Blues. You know, and it just describes this guy who's on his way to meet his love in Bogalusa. You know, and <clears throat> all of these accidents and mishaps happen along mm -hmm. the way. Um, you know, and then I mean, there's a slew of instrumentals too. You know, so I mean, those are just kind of grooving songs. And then, uh, gosh. Uh, and then there's some that just are bizarre, you know, mm -hmm. like this one early on, you know, the devil rides a pony. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense. I remember. Oh, and there's also this one too. There's there's one where we wrote it by committee, like by like Mad Libs, uh -huh. you know, and uh, it's called Boing Tweak. Uh -huh. It makes no sense whatsoever. Like the lyrics are completely just. We actually like wrote down phrases. And on pieces of paper and tossed it in a hat. Yeah. And then we pulled it out. And it's like, oh yeah, that's the first line. That's the first, second line. It's the third line. Oh wow. <laughs> and so, and we built the song up from that. You know? Wow. That's, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> All right, man. Is there anything left that you want to say before I shut it down? I'm I I'm talked out, man. At this All right, point, man. man. Well, so yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. It's fun, man. It's fun. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, dude. Thanks. All right. Turn this thing off. That was probably like what two hours almost. Yeah, it looks like 146 minutes, mm -hmm. a little over two hours. Thanks a lot, man. I, I think uh, 